Hi there, this is Daniel Eccles, and you're listening to the Learn Opportunity Podcast. We're here to help you get unstuck and start creating your future. I had a client for my career consulting business that felt stuck. He was feeling like he didn't have much opportunity to start creating his future. What he said to me was that he fell into the job that he was in. And I challenged that thought and I said, you didn't fall into where you are. You did repeatable actions that you can apply to a new goal that will help you create your future and create opportunities. You didn't just end up where you are. You did things that helped you to get where you are right now. And so that is what this podcast is about. Join us as we listen to subject matter experts share how they have created opportunities in their own personal and professional lives, how they've gotten unstuck and started creating their own future. These podcast episodes focus on giving you resources and tools so that you can apply best practices, repeatable actions to your own life goals so that you can start learning how to create opportunity in your personal and professional life. So join us. We're ready. Let's get started and start applying opportunity, creating best practices to our lives. Thanks for listening to the Learned Opportunity Podcast. We have a deeper conversation with you today. We have Dr. Timothy Knight. He is in diversity, equity, and inclusion at his own company called Knight Light Solutions. Dr. Timothy is a really deep, caring individual. I'm excited for you to hear from him about the intrinsic value that we have as human beings and how that plays into opportunity, as well as how living a life of hope, even when circumstances wouldn't normally feel very hopeful. Dr. Timothy talks to us a bit about how he had hope within those situations and persevered. And instead of feeling stuck or sorry for himself, was able to reframe and go from a place where he was marginalized, mistreated, and continued to find opportunity. And really, not just the opportunity for himself, not in getting a great contract or money for money's sake, but opportunity in helping other people and yourself to be your best self. And that is where Dr. Timothy Knight finds opportunity. So I I think this is a really, really good conversation, and I'm so excited for you to hear from Dr. Timothy Knight. Well, Dr. Timothy Knight, thank you so much for coming on the Learned Opportunity Podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. I gave a little introduction already to listeners about just some things that you've been up to, but what's really important for listeners to know about you? Well, thanks for having me, and I appreciate your audience taking time to, to listen in to our conversation today. I think for me, it, what informs all of my work and pretty much my life, my personal life and professional life. I, I seek consistency and congruency in both. I found it. That is the pathway of peace for me Mm. to make sure that my personal and professional life are are in sync with my value systems. And, and for me, that means that I acknowledge 
first and foremost, the immutable and innate intrinsic value of all human beings. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is the defining principle of life. Everything begins with who and how does my actions harm and who and how do my actions uh, hurt or support. Mm -hmm. And that is to include creation as well. You know, how we live on the planet that's given us and how we preserve what is given us. I also embrace the limitations of being human, mistake stricken, prone to error and contradiction, mm. possessing profound proclivities that inform, you know, self-interest, uh, fragmented, grossly imperfect. And yet with all of that, I still, and I think this is my superpower, I still hold on to hope uh, that all of us possess a seed of rightness and an aspiration to become our best selves. And so I think uh, once you understand that, in spite of me being 6'2", 300 pounds, bald and dark complected, if you can look past that, you'll see that there's this gem of a person whose life and worldview informs uh, all of the work that I do and how I engage other people. Mm, I love what you were saying about you accept the limitations, but then also see the opportunities in individuals. Uh, there's something that John Mark Comer talks about where in creation, we were created in God's image, unlimited potential being created in God's image, but we were formed from the dirt. We're literal dirt, and there's nothing that has more limits than just dirt. So it's finding that congruence between the, the dirt and the unlimited possibilities of being created in God's image. So how have you started going about finding that congruence for yourself, accepting the limitations that you, you have, but also reaching for more opportunities to create your future and have a life where you're thriving instead of just getting by? That's a great question. And I love the way you put that. Yes, in reality, we do come from dirt, but our value comes if, from, a, from a faith perspective and from a theological perspective, we can say that our value is imbued upon us by our creator. And so that's where our value rests. It's not in our the confidence of our own abilities or skills. Well, and not to make an argument against my, my understanding of self-efficacy, I believe we have to believe we can accomplish things, but mm. the strength of who we are comes from, in my opinion, something bigger than all of us. And so it's understanding that we were created and placed on the planet to do something worthwhile, something to benefit the universe, something to benefit another human being, something to benefit creation in and of itself. So it makes our existence bigger than us. So it's not about me being able to simply provide and feed myself and provide myself creature comforts. It's being here and being productive for that entity that placed us here and making life better for those who come after us and those who are also with us. Reinhold Niebuhr, he was a 1930s philosopher and theologian. He pastored a church in Michigan. He said that sin, one of his definitions for sin was a preoccupation with self. Mm. And he gave this illustration or he told a short story of a, a woman who stands up to 
sing a song in the church service. And he says, as long as she's preoccupied with the way she sounds and the way she looks, she'll sing, she won't sing her best song. But if she loses herself in the song and worship to God, she will sing her best song and in doing so, worship God and elevate the congregation. And so it's, it's about looking beyond our limitations and our strengths and coupling our faith with something bigger than us and saying that it's not about me as this lowly individual. And yes, I am lowly. I, again, I'm broken and fragmented and all that ugly stuff. But yet, uh, I've been put here for a purpose to serve the greater good. Yeah. Opportunity, it sounds like, then requires that greater purpose more so than opportunity for oneself being focused on winning or beating out another individual, you know, less competition and and more opportunity for, for others and in service to others. So that informs a bit about who you are. How do you put the things that inform who you are into practice in your daily life? All of those things inform this nurturing side of me. And so for me, I'm driven to make and to, to help people become their better selves, whatever that is for them. So it's not a winning a contract, so to speak. It's not getting that best job. It's where can I be where I can be true, fully myself. And for me, being that full self is helping others to become their best self. So when your goal, ultimate goal is to just to serve and to make better those around you, opportunities tend to flow. Mm-hmm. And, and this is not to disparage people who are out there chasing the dollar for the dollar's sake. I think there's great value in that. And all of us ultimately benefit in one way or the other. But for me, I'm driven. The, the, the opportunities that I allow to pass by, the opportunities that I seize, all governed by how does this look to the cosmos? What does this look like to, uh, to history? And in what way am I contributing good in the world, in, in doing the work that I do? And so for me, there has to be a synthesis between my own desire for self-care and well-being and being able to feed myself and my family and my ability to make the world itself a better place. And that's informed all of my work in everything that I've done from sweeping a floor in a nursing home to cleaning laundry in a nursing home to, which is, yeah, really, really interesting work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kind of take us through that from where you were to where you are now. How has that mindset of opportunity in the service of others, how has that developed from when you were younger to, to how young you are right now? (laughs) Yeah. So I I grew up in a small town called East St. City called East St. Louis, Illinois, 285 miles Southwest of here. And we grew up in, in abject poverty, but I wasn't aware of that. 
you know, I wasn't aware that others have working hot water or a working stove or a furnace. I did I wasn't aware that others uh, didn't have potbelly stoves in their living rooms or their bedrooms in the kitchen and that they didn't take uh, baths and number three or two galvanized tubs and have to share that dirty water with their siblings. And being the youngest, having to be the last one <laughs> to take your bath in that, that dirty water, we were raised to love each other and we were raised to serve each other and we were raised to be generous to each other. And that, and in addition to, I, I must say this, we were also raised to be independent and confident and courageous, courageous enough to live and to speak our truths, but to do so as loving mm. and as kindly as possible. So there was no abandonment of self. There was no self-deprecation. Mm. And that was easy to do in East St. Louis, Illinois, which was, while it was originally an immigrant city, turned out to be a chocolate city. And so we're standing up for yourself and speaking your truth wasn't as offensive as it would be, let's say, migrating to another culture, mm. another dominant culture, for instance, where your intentions can be misinterpreted. But so, yeah, so I graduated from high school and my mother gave me a $750 or so and a one-way bus ticket to Indianapolis where I found this little school. And that was it. I got on a bus and I came to Indianapolis and I never returned. Uh, that <laughs> one way. $750 ran out rather quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was enough money for three months rent and one semester's tuition. Mm. And everything from that to my senior year was a blur. I received support from various church members. I had teachers advocate with me with, with, the, with the board of directors at the school. And I, I can recall my books, <clears throat> I couldn't afford books when I went to school, came to school. I had enough for tuition, but I had no money for books. And so I met the director of the printer, printing press. His name was Thomas Griffith. And I asked him, the school had a, the organization and the school were associated with the printing press and bookstore. And I asked him if I could work for my books. And he said, sure. So in the days prior to school starting, I went in every day and I worked for eight hours or eight wow. and a half hours. And he would pay me in books and hand me the change that was left over. And I did that until I had all the books that I needed for that first semester. But uh, after that first semester, I was homeless. So I was homeless about three years uh, during the time I was in school. Didn't drop out. Didn't have stellar grades, but I was able mm. to graduate on time and uh, move on in life. I worked as a correctional officer. I worked shoveling slime in warehouses. I worked processing lead and conductor from cable, underground cable. And, and we worked as a police officer for a period of time. Worked for Crystal Hahn at a resort condominium international as one of our customer service reps and under John DeHaan as well. And so I had a, a variety of, of employment experiences. And, and I will say, I never saw myself as being 
disadvantaged. Mm. I never saw myself as, as being poor. I saw myself as striving to maximize all the gifts and the talents that I felt that I had coming along. Yeah. So I lived a life of hope. Yeah. It's a mindset that goes into a question of just like what may have prevented you from gaining the opportunities that you have had at those times. There's a lot of things that could have prevented you. But would you say that you overcame that because you saw the value, you had hope and the options and the resources that you could control or were available to you or people gave you help here and there? Yes. I said I came from East St. Louis and I grew up with the benefit of having about 99% of my teachers and instructors were African-American. Mm. Many of them were PhDs. They were anchors in our community. They were former professional athletes. Some had owned and ran businesses. Some did both. They were successful in their various trades. So I knew no matter how bad things got for me, that education was my way out. And I knew that if I could get that education, even if I had to sleep in parks and in basements and eat food from garbage, if I, even if I had to do all of those things, which I did, I knew that once I received my education, that that would be that door opener for me. It would grant me opportunities both within the workplace and more particularly for me in my personal life. Is there a particular time through that entire process, you're getting your education that you felt stuck, that was particularly difficult. What tools, resources, best practices helped you start getting back on the right foot, creating new opportunities and and getting unstuck in, in that time? Yeah. So there was a period of time when I was a single parent. I had, I was raising two biological children and a surrogate. I had taken on the young man by the request of his mother. Uh, She was ill and indigent. And she asked if I would help him through high school. And so I was a single parent of these three children. And it came a time when I felt that I was, had lost momentum in moving toward my goals. Mm. And as some of us have, I had a, a love me wall. And on that wall, there were all of these plaques and from the various accomplishments and awards that I received through the years. And I remember laying back on the bed, staring at that wall, thinking, well, I haven't done anything worthwhile in the last three years or the four years. And it occurred to me that I was doing one of the most important things one can do. And that was raise my children. So when I felt I was stuck, I was really not. Mm. I was really attending to something that was far more important. Mm. I, and while it seemed like I had lost momentum, I really hadn't. One of the things, though, that I think was most striking to me, the thing that dealt a pretty serious blow for me was experiencing racism for the first time. Mm. And experiencing it in a way that I was completely unprepared for. Because I grew up in in this loving household that was very affirming. And 
validating of who I was. I attended school with these wonderful teachers and I had these wonderful peers. And in many ways, our schools were multicultural. Like the first place I worshiped was somewhat multicultural. At least I thought so. It wasn't until later that I realized that culture doesn't begin and end with skin color. Mm-hmm. Because while we were all different colors, if you closed your eyes and listened to us, we all sounded the same. Uh, and we still and all had the same values, right? Uh, but it wasn't until I came here and uh, I attended school and there was no curriculum in school that would prepare me for a workforce. Now you got to think this was in 1986 that I graduated from college. There was nothing to prepare me for workplace discrimination Mm -hmm. in the way that it was packaged and delivered. So it is not overt. It's very subtle. It's exclusionary. It's invalidating. It's marginalizing. Mm -hmm. It is devaluing, devaluating. And so because I wasn't taught to look for it, I was unprepared to deal with it. I had no framework other than to self-deprecate. So there came this time in my career when my sense of self-efficacy or my belief that I can do things and do them well began to erode because I was receiving all of these messages that were reinforcing, telling me that firstly, Mm. but then reinforcing it as time went on. So it wasn't until I began to delve deeper into history and talk to older people who had processed these experiences that I began to create a framework from dealing with it. And that led me later to work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that was probably my biggest barrier. And, and, and to be sure, understanding what was happening and developing personal and interpersonal systems dealing with it didn't stop it from occurring again yeah it it continues to happen so it has to be an ongoing process and so when we talk to companies and organizations and even religious institutions about cultural competency we say that it's like a disease that you have to constantly treat Mm. there's not a pill that fixes it you have to constantly engage in critical self-reflection but I would say ultimately that was the, the principal barrier having to wrestle with losing and regaining my sense of self-efficacy in spite of everything that I had accomplished before I hit that wall. Mm. You know, what a, a stark difference between growing up with hope and feeling valued by a community and then hearing messages of you're not included, you don't matter, we don't want you to be a part of this. Even if those aren't messages that you're hearing out loud, they are loud and clear in practice and how people live and how systems work as well. That has to have a huge effect on your mindset when it comes to finding more opportunities. How did you first recognize that those things were contributing to limiting beliefs 
to a mindset that was just not based in reality of who you actually were as endowed and, and created as good and to be included and that you have good things to, to add to the world? This is a great question. So I would say back in 1986, while I was working at RCI, we, we did a training. And part of the training was to read a book by a gentleman named Dr. Shad Helmsetter. The title of the book is What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. Mm. This was a profound book because it had implications for all kinds of social dynamics, right? Ultimately, I walked away from reading that book with, with this notion of not blaming me for how your brain works <laughs> or not, not punishing me for how your brain works. Yeah. That's something that I've, I've said to a lot of friends, you know, don't punish me for how you process the world. Let's work together to understand these dynamics and differences a little better. But what basically what Chad said was what's important is how we think of ourselves and how we talk about ourselves and how we affirm ourselves because most of what we believe is informed by the messages we receive. They could be nonverbal messages. They could be completely behavioral. They can be verbal, but we receive these messages that either validate or invalidate. An example of this might be running into a kid who is a mediocre a dribbler, right? You're on the basketball court and he's like, really, he's losing the ball, he's turnovers. And you walk over to the kid and you say, hey, John, man, you're one of the best dribblers I've ever seen. And you say this with sincerity, right? And you said, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Well, all of a sudden, you, you see this light bulb, this ray of sunshine lighten up John's face, right? And you see him the next day and he's dribbling in the streets and he's taking his basketball mm -hmm. to school and the, the teacher and the principal are telling him they have to put it in the locker. And on his breaks, he's dribbling. And on the basketball, he's, of course, he's dribbling. And the first time he takes a guy, or we call it on the court, breaks a guy ankles, uh -huh. <laughs> people laugh and they celebrate him. And they say, man, that was awesome. Where'd you learn to do that? Now he's receiving this positive reinforcement, right? And he continues to practice and he continues until he becomes this excellent dribbler. And so it's those kind of reinforcing experiences that can help one along the way. And, and more importantly, I think in this entire process, and, and, and this is important too, a friend asked me once after a, a dear friend had done harm to me, he said, how do you trust someone if someone that close to you hurts you so deeply? And I said, you don't trust anyone. I said, you learn their nature and then you trust their nature. Mm. This gives you the license to love them in spite of their fragment itself, right? So you look at, for instance, you have a dog and you're going to leave home and you got a, a bag of bones, chicken bones, and you put the bones in the trash can and you say to the dog, stay out of the kitchen. And you make no provisions to prevent the dog from coming to the kitchen. When you come home, what do you find? Bones everywhere, trash everywhere. Now you can take a bone and 
hurt the dog with the bone. You can rub the dog's nose in the trash. You can kick stump the dog. You can take the dog to the shelter and animal shelter and give it back. Or you can recognize that you place too big of a burden on the dog mm. and the dog's nature. It's the dog's nature to do that thing, right? That's how the dog's oriented. The dog likes bones. That's what dogs do. So when it comes to my relationships, and I'm not comparing my friends to dogs, but <laughs> when it comes when it comes to relationships, I think that there's an abundance of joy when you can look at the people in your life, understand what their individual nature is design boundaries to protect you from their nature and give yourself permission to continue loving them. Mm. And so when it comes to issues like discrimination and racism, those limiting ideas, first of all, have to reckon, reconcile that it isn't me. There's no science to support the belief of me being less than or less intelligent or less capable or less sociable or any of the assumptions they may have, particularly about Black men. They typically say that they're non-providential, they're non-industrial, they lack a sense of God consciousness, they're hyper-violent, they're hyper-sexed. Those are things that people say. But you don't have to live down to those things, right? You can understand that because of their cultural orientation and their upbringing, those are ideas that they've been taught to embrace and I don't have to hate them for that. Mm. I don't, I don't have to, to disparage them and any behavior that comes out of their knowledge, their experience, their role value. I have to look at with a grain of salt and say, in spite of what this person has done um, or this organization has done, I still choose to love. I still choose to forgive. And so how does this impact my work? Well, I have some must-haves. <laughs> and for me, the must-haves has to, it has to include a genuine and authentic desire toward and bend toward inclusiveness and diversity and equity. Mm. You don't have to be perfect at it, but I require, if I'm going to work with you, if I'm going to contract with you that there has to be a bend toward that you have to be working toward it and so it doesn't leave to any sense of victimization or again self-deprecation actually strengthened by that is knowing that these are the things that we need to have in order for us to work together and move forward and so the barrier then isn't my own sense of worthlessness the barrier is am i able to identify potential customers potential uh organizations that uh, meet that particular criteria so let's say a listener might be thinking right now dr timothy if somebody is not the behaviors the the way that their their nature if you can dislike their nature, but still love them, who, then who are they if they are not their nature, or the ways that they act, the things that they do? How do you 
separate those two and continue to love them yeah. while their nature is is not them. Yeah, at the start of the show, I talked about my ideas, and they're not my ideas. They actually come from a philosophical and theological discipline called personalism, which understands that no matter how wretched any of us may be, we still have value. Mm. And to someone, we're important. We're important to our creator, no matter how offensive, no matter how abhorrent and aberrant we can be, we still possess value. So I stand, I tend to stand with the creator on that. And I tend to stand with the people who love them. <laughs> and, and even though they did this wretched thing to me, and even though they've done horrendous things and understand too, and I think it's important for your audience to know that I'm not speaking as a novice. I did 10 years as a homicide investigator and I interviewed many a murderer. I've interviewed many a rapist. I've interviewed many child molester. And in no instance did I dehumanize any of them. In fact, what strengthened my, my investigations was my humane treatment and respect to them and for them. And it's, it's easy to hate and it is easy to to attempt to devalue one's dignity, one's, one's personhood, one's humanity. We're looking for reasons to do that all the time. When we look at you, we're assessing each other to see if I can make something less of them. And in many cases, if I can make something less of them, that means I'm more important in some ways. And so, yes, their nature is that sign. It's that instructional manual that you use when you're dealing with them, right? If you know you have a friend that, that shoplifts and steals, do you, you, some will say, well, don't invite them in the house. And that's fine. <laughs> but if you did, would you leave your valuables out? <laughs> you know, right. I would probably say I'd leave my valuables, put them away. Mm. And so, or, yeah. or I might not invite them over. I might meet them at a restaurant and spend time with them there. So I'm able to disaggregate how one behaves from the value they possess. And again, I think that's one of my superpowers. I yeah. choose to love and be hopeful. It's very, it's very countercultural and also is a different view of love. I mean, it is loving to take care of your friend and keep you know, tabs on their nature might be to steal something, but not having that prevent the relationship, but just, you know, doing things in a way that you're, you're loving them and including them still while keeping in mind that this is a pattern or a behavior that we can always believe could change, but it has happened in the past. I think that, that is much more loving than, than not including because of those those things or, or past behaviors or experiences. So yeah, I would say that's a superpower for sure. What are you learning about right now that you are finding new opportunities, new growth, new hope in what it is that you're learning? Well, I'm, I'm new to self-employment. 
And so this is really exciting time for me, getting to know myself in the context of working for myself. This is, this is brand new. And uh, I'm hoping that I like myself enough to continue to employ myself. (laughs) (laughs) We can get along in this new relationship. But that's very, that's something that's, that I'm learning more about how to discipline and manage my time in a way that allows me to be productive and maintain that life work balance that I think is essential for longevity. I am learning to, or relearning, or maybe learning in a different context that I'm capable of doing and working for myself. It was always an idea, but I never thought that I could pull it off. Mm. And it looks like I'm capable of pulling this thing off. And it's, it's quite exciting. And it may be trivial to most, but it's pretty exciting to me right now. Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah, what was the... To- what was the trigger that took you from, I don't know if I can pull this off and having that self-doubt to, I think I can make this happen. Well, it was, it was always an idea, but you know, sometimes traumatic experiences can cause you to rethink where you are. And I had a couple of traumatic experiences that made me rethink this whole employment and self-care process. And it also made me wonder if I was doing more harm to myself in trying to live out others' ideas for how one cares for themselves and their families. And I thought that as part of the healing process, that I take some time to explore how I synthesize all of my life and professional experiences into something that could generate income. And so that's, uh, that's so far is working out very well Mm. for us. How would a listener connect with you, the work you're doing, if they want to participate in the exciting things that, that you are doing at this moment? Yeah, so some of the things we're doing at academic advising, a particular graduate level learners, And we also provide consultation and support to people who are entering higher education, helping them orientate to higher ed. We do also advise on criminal justice issues, concerns. So we we do that. We work in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if you have any interest in that kind of work or having us do or look or consult with you and your organization, you can reach me at Dr. Knight at nightlifesolutions.com. That's Dr. Knight, S-D-R-K-N-I-G-H-T at nightlifesolutions.com. Nightlife with a K. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, and is that also the website, nightlifesolutions.com? We're not working with the website yet. Okay. Not yet. Oh, soon. We'll later, oh. We're taking baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, if anybody wants to connect with you, then through the email it is. Just want to say once again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you and your friendship and just hearing your heart. And it's encouraging to me just the, the love and care and service that you have for other people. And I hope that this is encouraging to the listeners as well. So thank you very much. Thank you for your time. 
And listeners, we appreciate you too. We hope that you have a great rest of your day or whenever time it is you're listening to this. A good night, whatever it is. But just join us next time as we continue to help you get unstuck and start creating your future.